0: Hey, um, I just wanted to uh, spend just a moment to pray for Pastor Paul, and um, he'll be starting his sabbatical. He's been serving um, for full time for five years, and so we kind of have a pattern: um, five years, we kind of have a month, and the second uh, on the seventh, you get a couple months just to go and uh, recharge and uh, be ready. And he's going to be spending some time uh, doing that, and spending some time even at. Uh, um, within his steps and that's kind of one of his you know, passions and so um, we just want to pray for him and Janet and that they would have a, a, a wonderful time of um, kind of just being recharged spiritually in that way and so uh, you know we love them so much and what they do and how they lead and serve in so many ways and so if I could ask you let's bow our heads together and I'll pray for um, Pastor Paul. Thank you God for Pastor Paul and janet and the way i thank you for his faithfulness and um, how he serves and shepherds the church here at crossway so lord during this uh, short uh, sabbatical break would you watch over him and uh lord have him uh, draw even closer to you and uh, bless all of us as he comes back god so we ask your hand just be upon him and we pray in jesus name amen, amen. amen. so but feel free to bother him all day today you know it doesn't start till monday um, just you know, Bible questions or uh, counseling, whatever. Just just call them up. You know, feel free. Um, any hard questions you've never figured out, just call them. You know, you got to. Um, no, but uh, we're just grateful for them. Today we um, start the series on Hebrews and the anchor of my soul. Right? Uh, th- the book of Hebrews uses that uh, uh, illustration to show us the the power of Christ in our lives and how he matters for us. And so you can imagine a boat being tossed and uh, or getting pulled by the uh, waves and the wind and the currents. But yet the anchor, which is invisible, um, holds it in place, keeps it in its original spot, keeps it where it has to be. And really, Jesus is that anchor for us. And for some of us, uh, life has been just throwing you back and forth. It's been difficult. And I was sharing this morning and in Irvine as well today, I you know this week we had um, two of our members who had lost their fathers this week um, and had gone through some, obviously a time of mourning and difficult time and, um, you know, and, and I'm sure for many of us uh, going through some, some things, but yet he's the anchor of our soul. And so we want to um, just start and go through Hebrews in this way. Um, the commentators talk about Hebrews as being one of the most difficult books in the New Testament. There's so much history behind it. There's so much written uh, in the Old Testament you have to know about. So it is um, uh, complex, but it's not difficult or complicated per se. It's complex, it's rich, and I think it's going to be a wonderful time. And as the name of the book is called Hebrews, it was written to the Jewish converts, the Jewish Christians of the day. And you would imagine they were coming in now with uh, their heritage, and their uh, past life and all the things that they have learned about the patriarchs and in the in the Bible. And now they are now coming to faith in Christ and they're bringing a lot of that in. And he starts in the first part of this letter. He starts by identifying Christ and making sure that we understand his greatness. He is not one of many. He is not one of some, but he is the greatest. So he is not just. Well, here you go. Here's an option uh, between the prophets Right? and He says in verse 1, hey, God spoke through the prophets a long time ago, but here is the final word. He is not just like an angel. In chapter 1, verse 4 and on, is all about angels. He's superior to angels. God never calls him uh, God. So he is not just an angel. And those of you, he says, who are coming into the church and you're thinking, boy, he is like maybe an Isaiah or a Moses. And boy, they, they are in the same category. Super Christians or whatnot. No, he is Jesus Christ. He is the superior one. He is the great one. And so today we're going to look at um, these attributes about him, the greatness of Christ, and then walk away thinking, well, what are a couple things that we've gained from this? You know, there's a story written um, by uh, the theologian Soren Kierkegaard. It's a simple story, but it's a story that we know so well. Uh, It's a story of a prince of this kingdom, and the prince wanted to go and get married. And one day, as he was uh, about his land, he ends up going to one of the poorer parts of the land. And as he's going through and he sees, kind of at a glance, he sees a beautiful young lady. and it was love at first sight. he says, "I need to marry her." And he tells his assistants in his court and he says, "I saw her, I want to marry her." And they say, "Well, we can just order her over to the castle and she'd have to marry you. You're you're going to be the king. But he said, no, that's not love. I can't force her to marry me. I want her to choose to marry me. So said, how can I win her over and have her choose? So he was thinking about this. They said, well, you can get dressed up in all your royal garb and uh, we can go together with the whole court and we can go to this poor part of town and we could now go and you can go and propose to her. And she would be so, um, boy, just... Uh, impressed by all the riches that you have he goes no but even that she wouldn't be choosing me I want her to choose me for me not because of the clothes I have or the possessions or the titles I have so a third thought that he had was well maybe I'll go in disguise for a little bit I'll go in disguise as a local person as a peasant as uh, someone that lived around and try to win her over and then I'll bring her back to the castle they said but even that you're you're, um, you're fooling her And at the end, he says, okay, the way I will win her over is I will leave my castle. I will go actually live amongst the commoners. I will go to the pub and see what they drink and go to the restaurant, see what they eat. And I will learn to talk like them and I will learn what they are like. And I will meet her and befriend her and I will try to win her over. Obviously, the story (laughs) is that uh, story of that of Christ, you know, on Christmas coming to us. And he tells it this way. But imagine, I was thinking about for the the woman, you know how impressed she would have been. Wow, he has so much, but he's not trying to impress me with those things. Um, He doesn't force me in these ways. He has won me over in so much, and um, uh, she probably would be very disappointed. Like, can we just go back to your castle? You know, after they fall in love, like, do we have to give all this up? It's so nice. But you think about this, I think uh, when we come to our Lord Jesus Christ, sometimes we have a low view of Christ and it impacts everything else. And what we think about Christ will determine what we think about every aspect of life. And today as the author of Hebrews does, he gives us a great picture of Christ and this four parts of him that I want to um, highlight for us today, right? Number one is that he is creator, Jesus is creator of all things. Uh, You look at verse 2, and it says this in verse 2, But in these last days he has spoken to us by his Son, whom he appointed the heir of all things, through whom also he created the world. He created the world. He created all things. Even Colossians 1 tells us this. He created all things. He's appointed as the heir of all things. It's not so much that he was given something as an heir, that he came second. But the idea of being an heir was the idea that he has the same rights that the father has. So all of creation is somehow you have to give credit to him as you would give credit to the father. And that's the idea that is mentioned here that he is the creator of the world. He is not a created being. You would imagine a person Today would be tempted to say, well, he wasn't the creator. He was created because that would put humans and Christ on the same playing field. You know, you see this with the cults today. And uh, one website, I think they said there were over 5,000 cults and branches of cults and so on and so forth in the world today. And uh, probably the most famous one around the Jehovah's Witnesses, they teach. The Watchtower Society teaches that Jesus Christ was the first created being he was the first of creation. He was created first. So he is kind of like us and we are like him. And they deny the deity of Christ. Uh, he is the creator. Now let's think about this for a moment. Think of all that you have. Think of all that you are. Think of your talents and gifts. Think of all your possessions. Those of you, uh, if you, you know, have family and children, think of all of them. Think of all the things that are precious to you. He made that. He made you. He made your life. And so doesn't that just make sense and isn't it comforting to know I could go to Christ and with everything I have and it's all his anyways. I could enjoy the things that he's given to me knowing that he's given to me. Now the second part of his description is that he is God. It says in verse 3, he is the radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint of his nature. He is the radiance of the glory of God. Uh, you could see a picture of maybe a, the sunrise and the sun is coming up and the glory that is shining and the sunbeams are coming through. And that is who he is. You know, Donald Guthrie, in his commentary on this verse, he says this, and let me quote: he says, the idea of of the radiance which bursts out of a brilliant light. The idea is of the radiance, right? It is a striking picture. Like the sudden appearance of a glorious dawn at sunrise, the ray of light pierced every shred of darkness, right, to scatter it. So he is now the visible part of God. He is now God, but we cannot see him. Now whatever we see in Christ, we see God. And so this is one of the, Essential Orthodox teachings of the church, the Trinity, Father, Son, Spirit, three distinct persons in one Godhead, the Trinity, the triune God, as the Bible describes God in this way. And this is who God is. Um, It's interesting because he's also described as the exact imprint of his nature, The imprint is also described as a stamp, Back in the day, especially in the biblical days, you would have a stamp and you would put a stamp or you would roll a stamp over wax and your symbol or your name would now be embedded or it'd be printed out. And you can imagine a stamp, if you put it in some ink and you put it on paper, what is on the stamp will now be on the paper. The same nature, he is God. He's not of a different nature. Now, when we get into this, obviously, the doctrine of God, we could spend a lifetime studying and people have, uh, but we, it is so important that we understand and we value the greatness of Christ. You know, thirdly, he's described as the sustainer, creator and also sustainer. He holds things together. The second part of verse 3 says, and he upholds the universe by the word of his power. He upholds it. Uphold or sustain or he bears it up. Um, He is sovereign over all things. And whenever I think about the sovereignty of God, I I run back to uh, Jerry Bridges and some of his writing. And Jerry Bridges says this, nothing is so small or trivial as to escape the attention of God's sovereign control. Nothing is so great as to be beyond his power to control it. Nothing. And so you are all here today because of his presence in your life. You are all doing what you are doing. Somehow God has guided you to this point. And you are with who you are. And somehow God is in the midst of that. And so there is no coincidence or accident uh, when it comes to God and us that he sustains us in this way. And so what we get here, if you could follow the, the author, you have this picture of this kind of cosmic God, creator, God almighty, sustainer. He holds the universe and all of a sudden it gets very personal as he comes down to us. He needs a savior. And That's the fourth part. He saved us. In the last part of verse 4, after making purification for sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high. It's interesting. He doesn't elaborate much about what he did, but what he did on the cross, right? Making purification for sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high. I think the author of Hebrews is trying to tell us, he already died for your sins. You're already forgiven. Don't keep trying to earn something from God. It's already done. If you accept him by faith, it's already done. He sat down at the right hand. Of, so it's already, he's done. He's died on the cross and he's gone up to heaven to be with his father. It's already done. But some, and you can imagine, especially the religious people, some who are carrying around guilt or some who are now comparing and judging others. They're saying, what have you done for God lately? Have you earned your way in lately? He says, it's already done. And he wants us to get that across that it's already finished. It's already done. You cannot try to become righteous before God. You know, this past summer we were in Japan, and one of the tourist sites that you go to is one of the shrines there. And, uh, um, you know, the big one, the Meiji Shrine, we went to go visit it. And on your way into the shrine, some of you might have been there, but they have a big area where you go to kind of purify yourself before you go in and you approach the gods or you approach the temple. And so they have all these cool um, you know ladles made out of wood and have water that's running in this big area and then you're supposed to take it. And you're supposed to take it and you're supposed to sprinkle it on your you know pour it over your right hand to clean your right hand. And you're supposed to clean it on your left hand. And then you're supposed to pour some into your right hand and you're supposed to now put it into your mouth and gargle it, right? And then you're supposed to spit it into your left hand and throw that out. And then you're supposed to take the ladle, take some more water, wash away your left hand. And then you're supposed to take the ladle. And I don't know how you do this, but you're supposed to now rinse away the handle of the ladle so that it's not dirty. Now, that thing is just filthy. There's no way, you know, like uh, it is just germs. I and mean, if I washed my hands, if we took showers like that, we would be dirty, all right? We have soap. Uh, it is dirty. It doesn't clean us. And we went there, and it was 100 degrees that day. It was record heat. I didn't just wash my hands, guys. You know, I was like, you know, I was a you know, little scrub, a right, little extra scrub and get some of that off. And um, boy, but I didn't want that in my mouth. Um, I'm not going to go there. You know, it's just, this, you know, like, oh, this is just for fun. But do you think about this? Imagine someone saying, oh, I'm going to go to the gods. I'm going to purify myself. And if I go and do this ceremony, I can go to God. You know, I remember having a conversation with a. a uh, a guy that I knew, a younger brother that I knew I knew him when he was in high school. And I ran into him and I asked him about church. You going, you know, what, how's life and so on? What have you been up to? I haven't seen him since he was a teenager. Are they going to church? And he goes, no, I'm not going to church. And you, you might have heard this a lot as well from friends. And I said, well, why not? And he said, well, I need to get my life all together. It's kind of a mess. I, I, I can't go to God right now. Think about it. What does God demand from us? Perfection. Sinless, spotless, white as snow. So, how is someone, whether it is a ceremony of water or doing a little bit of good deeds or maybe a little volunteering somewhere, how does that make me pure? No, it's already done. And He reminds us here that it has been finished, He's already seated at the right hand of the majesty on high, it's done. So what does that mean for us? I thought of two things. I think the greatness of Jesus, it affects our worship. And I'm not just talking about here. I'm not just talking about a technique or what you should. Our life should be filled with worship. Worship is telling God you're worthy. That's what worship means. You're worthy. It should be all worship somehow. We should always be thanking him. Our prayers should be filled with worship. It is uh, J.I. Packer who says it so well that theology is for doxology and devotion. That is the praise of God and the practice of godliness. Any theology that does not lead to song is at a fundamental level a flawed theology. We go to him. It makes me sing. We go to him. It changes my life. The study of God changes and impacts me in this way. You think about when Isaiah had encountered God and he had a vision of God in Isaiah six. And when he sees him and the first words as he is trembling comes out as woe is me. Woe is me. When we get to heaven, uh, we will have a full understanding of God. And it will be an eternity of worship. Of saying, you're so worthy, we get it. Now we get things a little bit more and more. We experience God a little bit here and there. But it will come to fruition 100% one day. Secondly, the, the greatness of Christ helps us to trust him. And let me ask you today, in what area, what part of your heart, what area of your life do you need to trust God more? What do you need to trust God with? work, kids, future, Um, what is it you have to trust him with? But if we grasp the fact that he is so great, and my Heavenly Father and the Lord Jesus Christ and God the Holy Spirit, they're with me, they are great, I can trust him. So it is not so much the amount of faith a person has it is the object of our faith that matters. He is trustworthy. He is great. You know, one of the nice things about you know when kids are little, they look at mom or dad as uh, just as like super, you know, and all that they could do. it we have these two pictures at my house. There's one of me holding Carissa when they're both um, like in maybe one years old or a little over one. And um, there's one I'm holding her. We're at a zoo, and um, I'm holding her one handed, and she's so happy, and I'm so happy. And, um, you know, we this picture. And we're kind of wearing this, like, yellow outfit. I don't know why I have a yellow outfit, but I'm wearing a yellow outfit. Anyway, so, um, and then we're just happy. And then I have that picture. And then right next to it, we have a picture, and it's me and Ashley. And Ash- and I'm kind of um, laying down with my knees up in there. And she's, you know, seated with her back on, on my knees. And I have her feet, and I'm kind of biting her feet, you know, just so cute. And we're, she's laughing in the picture. You can almost hear it by looking at it. And Sharon and I were looking at it one day, and we're, just a few weeks ago, we were talking about, oh, I should try to recreate that, That'd be, you know? And then we were just laughing. I was like, well, that physically is impossible. That's impossible to do that. Um, and uh, those teenagers, they're not gonna wanna do that, right? That'd be, um, why? Because, boy, as you get older, dad isn't the strongest person around. Dad isn't the f- smartest person around. There are things he doesn't know, he's not perfect. As life goes on, we go to people, we say, boy, they're not so trustworthy. They're not all this. But as life does go on and our knowledge of Christ deepens, we say, boy, he is so trustworthy. He is so great. And as Paul writes in Ephesians, that he prays that God would open the eyes of his heart, that he would see him. We still can't fully see him. And he says, God, help me to see you more. And I will trust you. And I will live in awe of you. And so today we look at the greatness of Christ. And may it impact you in everything you do. May it bring you to worship. May it place all your trust. He's already saved you. May you do that for Him. That is our prayer. Let's pray that together. Uh, Lord, you are great. Our words cannot, um, our, our words are not uh, deep enough, or uh, our vocabulary is not complex enough to describe how great you are. And even in our, the scriptures, as we read, we get a picture that you are the radiance of the glory of God. You're the creator, you're the sustainer of the universe. There's the uh, word of power you speak in God. So, all these things. We try to grasp them in our little minds, and it is so difficult, yet we want to understand it from our hearts. So would you help us to do that? You are great. You are good to us. So God, we want to grasp that truth. We pray in Jesus' name, amen.